Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, which will be talking about generative art, I have with me as a guest Lionel Radisson, who is a generative artist and I've recently had the pleasure of collecting some beautiful pieces from the horror collection of his. So in this episode I'll be delving into his history as an artist and even as a person, how he got into generative art and some elements of how he created the collections, how he goes about doing generative art in general. And I think it's very interesting to peer into the mind of a generative artist. I think he's the first artist I had on the show. Previously we had some collectors. So I, I, I really had a pleasure talking with Lionel about his, his work and his methods. So I invite you to listen to the show. And if you have any questions, please let me know after you can always reach me on podcast at mastermind.fm so enjoy the show Lionel, welcome to the show thank you we'll be talking obviously about generative art and your process and your history so to start off i'd like you to introduce yourself to the audience how you came into generative art um, I've been watching some of your other artworks, so I think it's been kind of a lifelong journey, if I'm not mistaken, to arrive at this point where you're experimenting now with NFTs. So I'd like to take our audience through that. Yeah, now it's a 10 plus years long journey. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, my name is Lionel Radisson, alias uh, MacQ135. I've been creating uh, generative art since I discovered it in, I think, 2010 in an art school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I lost myself in, in university for a few years uh, studying uh, Japanese and English. Then I went on uh, economics <laughs> to try to do serious studies, to get a serious work, but it wasn't for me. <laughs> and after five years, I left everything and uh, went to an art school, uh, thanks to my mother for supporting me this long. And so I went to this uh, design and art school at 25. And uh, on the second year, I discovered processing, which was a life-changing uh, encounter. <laughs> With a computer, I was able to produce visuals, video, sound, animation, 3D, and <laughs> so many things. And then from, from 3D, I could use 3D printing or laser cuttings as well, augmented reality, and so, so many things opened. And I've been, uh, since then, uh, passionate about uh, the techniques and the magic that you can produce with a few lines of code. Cool, cool. So, so you've been a full-time artist all these years? No, 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 uh, sorry. When I left school, I started by creating workshops uh, which were called Processing Lyon. At that time, there was a Processing Cities um, initiative led by uh, Mark Webster from Processing Paris. And so I created a, a Facebook page and a Twitter account <laughs> uh, just to, to meet people and uh, try to do things around processing and share my passion. That's where I, I met a few teachers as, as well who proposed me to joined their school for doing workshops. So for a few years, I've been doing uh, mainly teaching and, um, and some work as a freelance uh, either in uh, 
data visualization, uh, web experiments, and installations. Okay, okay, very interesting. So um, I think you were going to mention a few projects uh, earlier, which we can still do. I'll, I'll link them up in the show. Um, and perhaps you can share screen with me so I can also follow along. Um, I think it would be nice to see how you transitioned from your earlier work into these latest projects that you've released as NFTs. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all has been a, a continuation. One of the recent series that I made was called Slashes, and uh, it can be seen on OpenSea. It's a um, 1024 tokens edition where we are generating SVG on the chain using a custom smart contracts. But this work and the kind of shapes that I am using are maybe a kind of a signature. It's, it's a, a shape I have been using for more than 10 years. I think we can still find the first uh, time I used it on an open processing project, which was, I think, from September 2012. It was animated and uh, I was trying to learn uh, JavaScript and mixing uh, processing language using something that was called uh, processing JS at that time. So the code is very ugly, <laughs> but uh, the idea was to, to kind of hack open processing by setting the iframe that was in front of the code to get it transparent and to have the slashes move from in front of it. And since then, I used this uh, kind of shapes in different things like loops to export GIFs, as well as some uh, static images using SVG as well. I always try to go back to the previous work that I did, try to go further with them. It can be either with uh, color or the composition that I am using, adding some details, adding some shadows and different things like that, that can push the, the art further. Okay, so many, many generative artists talk about their having been perfecting their code over a number of years. So mm. I can, it's kind of in line with what you're talking about, even around the general idea that you keep thinking. And uh, I think it's nice to see the artist thinking over several iterations and years to go deeper in an idea that's very interesting. And so from the kind of idea aspect, what are the things that maybe inspire you? Uh, if, for example, the last drop, uh, Horo, is it, uh, how, mm -hmm. how do you pronounce it? Is it Horo? Horo. Um, so it was about cities, no? So I guess you're yeah. inspired by architecture. I think that Slashes also is inspired by, by cities. Mm -hmm. Um, like, oh, I, I do live in, in Lyon, yeah. which is, um, relatively small and big town. <laughs> um, and I really like living in cities and um, or visiting cities. I like the movements that, that, that can be either from the, the activities that you have all around, but as well as getting lost in them. All, all those things uh, are really inspiring me. Uh, the, the colors that you can have everywhere, the movements, and um, these are parts of the things that I try to translate in my art, getting how to retrain 
describe uh, the, the human activities that you can have in a city. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'd love to go a bit deeper there to see how an artist's mind works, you know, because we're talking about something very real, the life in a city, you know, that everybody can identify with having visited a city or lived in one. Like everybody knows, you know, like you go out, there's noise, there's coffee shops, there's lots mm -hmm. of people. But then we have generative art, which is very kind of flat and code based. So how mm -hmm. do we bridge the two? Like in your head, what's happening? How do you bridge the, the visceral real city into something represented by code? I think that's amazing, you know, so I, I'd love to explore it further. This is something that can be seen in the latest series that I pushed that were about the, um, the density of the elements. You have a lot <laughs> like a, a kind of saturation of elements all over the, the visual. And this is a way to, to represent what can happen in a city. But you can, if you take a look at the details, there are some parts that give a strong impression of movement while others are more calm and quiet. And I do really try to, to show this kind of movement, the, the speeds that can be in the, in the different shapes, even if the, if the pieces are static. I try to, to give this movement, uh, take shape and, uh, in, in the different visuals. Mm -hmm. And uh, how does the process go? Like, do you start coding directly or do you sketch something and then try to recreate it with code? I, I, I'm really not um, confident with, uh, with sketching. So mm -hmm. usually I start by coding and often I don't know what, <laughs> what I am going to do. I just try. I usually start with a few shapes, few simple shapes and, um, then try to iterate, find if I see some rules that can give interesting visuals. Sometimes because I try to, I try to learn a lot. Uh, so it can be either by trying to create a, a new algorithm or a new technique that I've seen on the web. And I try to reproduce it and see oh, what, it, what I can produce with it. And from there, I try to add complexity, add other shapes that are less easy to read at first. But this is something that can be seen in Oro as well, where there is a composition that there is composed of uh, simple shapes like rectangles or a circle or recursive grids, which are elements where the, the eye can um, be assured, uh, reassured, I mean, like uh, they know the simple shapes. Uh, it's mm -hmm. something really easy to read. And on the opposite, you have strong movements that are less difficult to read, that can give the eye a sense of, uh, of wandering and uh, in the visual, uh, where you can lose yourself in the, in the visual. And meanwhile, have really simple shapes where you can see the, the wall plan. Yeah, I, I definitely got lost in, uh, in admiring this latest uh, drop of, of yours. So I found it really fascinating to see the colors and the grid. 
and uh, the interplay between the two. So how do you, like the code for someone who is new to generative art, how would you explain the process of coding? Ah, sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it often <laughs> it often feels uh, really um, abstract. Mm -hmm. how, how do we code? <laughs> how do we code visuals? So first, I mean, we, we must mention that there are tools to to write uh, commands to draw a certain shape, like like using processing or P5JS. You have a rect command to create a rectangle and you give it uh, coordinates like x, y, width and 8 to draw this specific shape at a, a specific uh, place on the visual. And you have the same thing with circles, ellipses, path. Uh, so from that, you have a, a set of commands. It's the same with SVG where you can declare a circle and give it attributes like its center, and uh, its radius, its its color for the fill and for the stroke. And from that, so once you have all these elements that make you able to code commands to create visuals, it's about how to create a composition from that. So you have to write rules using condition, using loops to create multiple elements. We use randomness, and it's a lot about taming randomness to shape the randomness to create what you want. And we are often speaking about parameter space in, in generative art because it's a lot about how to constrain your visual into a certain set of parameters and uh, give it uh, a sense of cohesion. Uh, in a, a series, shouldn't I think a theory shouldn't be too diverse to be good. This is something that I learned uh, <laughs> on Oro. That first I, I tried to have too many variations and it didn't work really well. Some some parameters were a bit off and I had to rework them for two months be before publishing the, the world series. This is really about creating a composition about with different roles. I, I think it's worth digging deeper into the fact that with art blocks, um, so we're talking about randomness, but at the same time as an artist, because uh, maybe we should explain a bit how art blocks works in terms of minting the art, because I think this is one of the most yeah, important sure. aspects. So, so, so you'd be experimenting with the code, like creating thousands of outputs, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And then as you get closer to the actual release, perhaps you're worried about uh, how the, how the mint is going to go and what art is going to be created. I'm not sure how much of a worry that is, but I guess I would be worried about it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of worries. <laughs> But yeah, I, th I think I think it's also worth um, explaining for those who don't know how the art block mint works. Yeah. So I started working on Oro, I think, in November. And uh, I had some first visuals that were really cool to share and really good. And uh, from there, I started to add elements to my uh, to my visual or to create rules that could be interesting to get more variety 
regarding art blocks uh art blocks is a um, generative art platform for long form series which means the code for the different series is stored on the blockchain on the on the ethereum blockchain and the artist is only creating the code that can generate from uh, 100 to a thousand of uh, different outputs and the artist won't have an eye on the outputs that are going to be to be created each output is going to have a seed a number which is going to be the root of the randomness that is going to create the whole output and when someone is minting an output is creating an output from the the, the series adblocks is going to pass the seed to the algorithm and create a new token, a new output using this seed. So this is where the artist has to take care of all the parameter space and be certain that any combination of the parameters will produce a great visual. And this was <laughs> A lot of work for Aro. As I said, I I started working on Auto in November. Um, I joined Artblocks in December and then worked on it for a few months. And in February, I presented the, the series to the curation board. And the series didn't make it. Uh, I had really interesting feedbacks uh the, the the curation board had seen that the the series was interesting had a strong visual identity but some of the combination were not really good which was not good enough for curation so from there i spent two months trying to find the elements the elements that were working great for the series and the other were that weren't and um, i went from i think i had 78 different palettes and went on to 55 i had uh, eight different flow fields and reduced it to four just to focus on the elements that were producing really interesting visuals i, I also had thought um that's um the series and the different output could be seen either in portrait or uh, uh, landscape uh, format. And I had created five different um, formats for the, for the series, uh, which were um, 16 by 9, either in portrait or, or landscape for, to display on, uh, on screen. And I had also two-third format in portrait and landscape for prints as well as a one one format as a square format for social medias and <laughs> and the likes but actually i had to because because artblocks is having a single um ratio for the for to display the thumbnails i had to to fill <laughs> the the thumbnails with a, another visual so i was using the same image as a blurred background under it and this was adding more confusion to the piece we didn't know which was really the piece 
So I focused on a single format for our, for the final uh, outputs, which is a two-third format. And yeah, I, I had to remove a lot of code, <laughs> mainly during two months to focus on the, on the, uh, on the interesting parts. Okay, that's very interesting. So I don't know how the process works inside the art blocks. So like when you apply, so you apply with an idea, right? Yeah. And then you get uh, channeled into, or, or does everybody apply like you're curated directly or can you apply for a factory? I, I don't know if, uh, if everyone applies for curated, but uh, at first you do apply for the platform. Okay. Yeah. Then from there, you're, you're onboarded, you you have a setup to work on your piece uh, on a testnet. And after that, you can apply to the curation board and you get feedbacks. <laughs> That's interesting. As an artist, I imagine it's really helpful as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you um, remastered this collection, did you have another chance to get into curated or at that stage, is it... Uh, you cannot go back kind of to try again at curated to be frank i don't really know i was <laughs> <laughs> i was okay this won't be curated and mm -hmm. i didn't try to get it back to to curation i had understood the the different bit feedback and they were true valid points right? <laughs> yeah but i didn't want it to release the series as it was. I wanted to push it further. I had to take into account the different feedbacks that I had received. So um, I took more time to make sure that the series was really good. This is the first series that was really important to me to work on as a full-time generative artist uh, since I left my job, my previous job in, in December. And so I, I had started working on, um, on Oro. Since then, I, I released a few other series like uh, Shetan Moon on FXH and Slashes, uh, which is a, a custom smart contract. But Oro was really the first very important series to me that I started because I wanted to, to share my different influence either from the living in a city and the graffiti, mm -hmm. which is the, the first thing that made me go to produce images <laughs> like 20 years ago or more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was like a new beginning as a, as a generative artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm asking mainly about the curated part because as you probably have seen in the various discords we are in, a mm -hmm. lot of people were asking Wow, this looks really good. I wonder why it's not actually a curated uh, collection. So, so that's why I asked you if you had the chance to go back and try again for a curated because like I'm not an expert myself, but compared to the drops I've been following on curated, to me, it was way up there in terms of the same level or, or even better than some of the curated drops. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was told by the community that I was curated by the community. <laughs> yeah, maybe we got a bargain. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And you mentioned some other platforms. So uh, two things that we we've been talking about that I'd like to explore further is 
the other platforms. You mentioned FX Hash, and you also use the smart contract. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to touch on the point that you left your job to do this full time. So could you talk about the, the transition from uh, being having a job into full time artistry and what made that happen? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, as I said, I started creating generative art in back in 2010. And I always continue to do that, <laughs> mostly because I wanted to learn art and generative art was produced and because I'm fascinated by the, the technologies that, that can be used and the magic effect that, uh, that, that they can produce. This was my passion. And um, regardless of the work I have been doing, so which were all related to working with technology, I was always continuing to create generative art for myself. And so um, back in, in 2020, I was a teacher in a big art school uh, where we had the Fab Lab and I was teaching how to create mostly anything using prototyping technologies. And I was quite sure that with NFTs getting talked about nearly everywhere, I would have students that would come to me and we, want, we would want to create a project about NFTs, but I didn't know anything. So, <laughs> so you so, weren't into crypto like a long time. No, before. not at all. And <laughs> so I, I was, okay, I should give it a look. I mean, so it was in at the end of um, 2020. So I started to look at NFTs. Then I saw, well, I took, uh, I took a few months and uh, in March of uh, 2021, I saw a few artists like uh, Frédéric Van Hout, uh, Matt, Matt Delaurier and Joanny Lomercier who were talking about Iketnunk. So I decided to, to try and share a few works that I had already done, like a few loops or and so and from there, I was really uh, surprised from all the support that I received, either from other artists that I knew from a long time, as well as from the public. I was like, wow, people are buying my, <laughs> my loops. From there, it really pushed me into creating more and more art. I was already in my work at, at a point where I was, I had started this work by by doing workshop, face-to-face -face workshop with 10 people. And at the end, I was having a course for 2,000 students by year. <laughs> and so I was mostly doing uh, emails and administration. And I already wanted to, to go back to something more creative. And I had the, the NFT scenes that was really supportive for my work that really pushed me further. I tried to produce pieces that were more complex, more reshaped. And at some point I decided that this was what I wanted to do full-time. I had to try now or I would regret it for my whole life. So um, I took the step and, uh, and left in, in, at the end of November. That's a real change, <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. This is something that I have always wanted to do. If I had if I had time, if I could have time, I I wanted to do generative art. 
And right now I could be paid to produce generative art. And this is just a dream. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really well done because it's been an organic journey, I would say. It's not something where you're jumping on, on the hype of the moment. No, it's, you've been doing this kind of all your life anyway. So it, it makes a lot of sense to take the next step when you're doing well and you've got this opportunity. And in terms of generative art, so I imagine you said you knew a lot of the artists before. Did NFTs help you maybe connect with more artists or collectors themselves? Did it bring everyone closer, you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> Iketnung, by its UI and UX at first, <laughs> really helped <laughs> to connect with others. Because at the, at the beginning, uh, people were only identified by their wallet addresses. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we had to look on Discord and Twitter, who was who? <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it created kind of a, a new dynamic into the generative field. It really helped to, to connect with a lot of different people and say, hey, I really appreciate your work. Would you like to trade a piece just mm -hmm. as as a way to start a conversation with other artists. And since then, I've kept contact with a lot of artists that I that I was in touch for years, but I'd never really engaged with. As well as with many collectors that are either just wanted to compliment me, which is really, really supportive, as well as others that are wanting to, to produce some project or uh, like uh, creating galleries or exposition. So yeah, this is creating a, a world dynamic of support to, to artists. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most constructive things that NFTs have done, because I think a lot of the attention focuses on the PFP projects, which I think rightly so can be defined as hype. Maybe some, some of them, I hope as a collector of also those kinds of projects, I hope some of them will survive and manage to build brands and communities like Proof, for example, is one which I really enjoy and Grailers is another one. Uh, but I think in, in terms of generative art, there's no disputing the fact that NFTs, the technology has brought a lot of benefits in that niche, I, mm. I would say. Yeah, I think uh, maybe unlike PFP, I think that the relation with the artist is uh, a really longer term. It's like supporting the career of an artist. Uh, so this is a lifelong goal, I mean. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, to me as a collector, I mean, I come from a web development background. So, and I've always had the dream of art. I think I always had a good eye at uh, design and art, but I could never draw. So when I discovered generative art, I'm like, okay, now I can maybe produce something like this idea that I have in my head, I can finally get it out. No, yeah. <laughs> that's an amazing <laughs> feeling. <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate. I, I went to an art school with uh, only draw drawings that I produce was at the exam of the entrance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and yeah, I said it, I... I, I can't draw. I, I just, so <laughs> I'm fine walking directly with God. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So in terms of platforms, we mentioned, uh, FX hash, uh, Hiketnung, 
uh, your own custom contracts, art blocks, Ethereum. How does this all fit in uh, as a collector and maybe as a creator as well? Why why are there all these different platforms and how to choose what? <laughs> I think this is an ongoing exploration. We're still early. Yeah, I started with Iketnung because it was the first that was really easy to access as an independent. I, I mean, this is another good point that from the any NFT space it's that any artist can access it. You don't have to know someone who knows someone who has a gallery to be exposed. You can just go to any any platform and share your work. So I started with Iketnunk. I then, as it was on Tezos as well, I tried a few auctions on object.com, which was the first one to, to, to provide this feature. And um, I really like Versum.xyz uh, as well, uh, which is really focused on the, on the visual part of the, of the art. I add art blocks online because I think this is right now one of the maybe the most important platform for generative art and on, on, the, on the blockchain. Uh, but I, I've been as well having a look at Solana and different blockchain. I, I don't know. I'm just looking at the different possibilities. Mm -hmm. I've seen also, I think this is on secret network that I've seen other generative art platforms. There is a lot of different things and uh, I'm just trying to, to explore this space and try to meet the the public there. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, about FX hash, for example, I think it's one of the hottest things at the moment, right? Yeah. How, how do you see that growing and wh why did it become so hot uh, all of a sudden? I think one, one of the, uh, one of the reason is, uh, as I said before, is that anyone can participate in it. Right. And, um, the public will do the creation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> This may be one of the of the reason. Also, since um, Tezos has really low costs, this is easier for many artists to start with it. Could you dig a bit deeper on the maybe Tezos versus Ethereum from the artist's perspective in terms of barriers to entry? Probably cost would be the biggest one, but yeah. why why is there a difference there for those who don't really understand the difference? I think costs uh, are one of the of the most important because well to to produce or to write art on the on the blockchain you are, well for every transaction of the on the blockchain you have some costs and well like for art blocks you are where you are storing the code on the blockchain you have to pay for this storage one of the difference on on FXH is that uh, the code is not stored itself on, on the blockchain, but instead we are storing the, the, the code on the EPFS networks. So this is a, a network where you can, a, a P2P network where you can uh, store files that is decentralized where, and where each uh, resource has a unique ID. And so on the FXH 
project, the NFTs are going to link to this uh, resource, to this unique resource, instead of, of storing the, the whole code on the blockchain, which creates a, a huge difference in terms of amounts. And that's from a, from an artist's point of view, right? The initial cost of deploying yeah. the collection. Mm -hmm. And then obviously from the collector's point of view, we're seeing a big difference in prices, right? For the art itself. For now, uh, but I think this is going to change. And as we see, uh, some, some really good series are starting to have on Tezos are having a flow like, um, Monolith Gardens by Zankan has a flow price that is approaching 30 Ethereum. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So. But yeah, the, the equivalent. <laughs> yeah. I think that I, I've heard of, um, of an initiative on that is going to start on July about single edition NFTs starting from July on, on Tezos which is more common on uh, on ethereum as well okay makes sense and uh, so recently i've also seen you tweet about some utility for the slashes project right yeah so how do you view because this also ties into a debate between maybe uh like the pfps where we're looking for constant utility and further drops yeah. and the artists were most of them say you're just buying the art and that's it and leave me alone you know <laughs> yeah I, I do i do get it and this was <laughs> this was my idea at first but but now you well you are interacting interacting with the public and mm -hmm. uh, they are investing in you and so it's normal that you have to give back and get interaction with them so well, when we when we created slashes at first, this this was supposed to be a very long project that would maybe never sold out. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it was sold out in twenty minutes, and it was just <laughs> crazy. And we hadn't anticipated that, and we are now working on an upgrade for the slashes project, where we are going to add a, a kind of utility, but which is all which will always be related to to art and to the collection what we are wanting to do is to create um, a meta collection of multiple series of uh, in-chain svg projects and one uh, one of the idea is to be able to first be able to swap between collection so you have a token let's say you have a, a slash and you can swap it for another collection as well as maybe the idea to be able as i said before when you are creating a token you have a unique seed for your token which will create the wall which will uh, determine the wall uh, output so what we are wanting to do since this is a kind of a, of a lottery <laughs> you are minting yeah. a, a token and okay Maybe this is not the color that you would have wanted, or maybe not really the, the, the shape that you wanted. We want to add an utility to be able to regenerate, to look for a new seed. 
So the seed will always increase so that to make sure that no one gets the same seed. So you won't be able to, to get the same token as someone else, but you will be able to hunt for new seed, just mm-hmm. like a generative artist can do when he's working on a series and want to, to have a few outputs that are created by, by himself. Um, we can earn for, for seed and uh, refresh the work until we have something that really works. It's interesting take, yeah. So, yeah, being able to, to regenerate the, the seed, being able to swap between the different collection. And since we can change them, we want also a way for the public to be a curator as well and to be able to lock the token in a definitive shape so that it cannot be mutated later. Even if they sell it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So maybe maybe this will create something interesting because people can buy a token which is locked. So this would be the same piece forever. And maybe some people want to be able to try to hunt for new seeds. So they can buy a token that is still not locked and try to generate another one. And would they have just one chance or can they try? No, no, no. The idea. Well, we are still, we are still working on the, um, on, on the specifics, but it should be, I think it should be limited in, in time. Like you can change a token once a day at most. And uh, maybe have a final time for the World Series to be locked. Like one year, in one year, the World Series will be definitive. But the public, the collectioners are going to curate the World, uh, the world Series. Very interesting. So I guess you cannot do that on platforms like Artblocks where there have yeah. strict parameters. Yes, that's why we are writing our own custom contracts mm-hmm. to be able to implement this, uh, this different features. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right. And uh, I have two main, two other topics to cover. And like one of them is other artists that you like or have inspired you. Uh, as a collector myself, having really appreciated your art i'm uh, i'm really interested in what you as an artist inspire yourself or like i, I think that's an interesting one to, to cover ah yes there, there are there are uh, a lot yeah <laughs> so many <laughs> um but um i think for sure Caseris, which is a creator of uh, processing I would also mention uh, Matt Delorier, Emily Thier, a recent series um, on Artblocks, Memories of Quinn, I think. Yeah, yeah, Memories of Quinn. I really like that as well. Yes, yeah, there are a lot of very talented artists that I follow on Twitter. One, one of the artists that I've been following for a long time now is Andreas Gizin. He's a Swiss-based uh, artist working with minimalism i'd say and ascii art as well Mm -hmm. and is creating a lot of physical installations as well that are really beautiful but while this is this is a really opposite style of mine (laughs) i do really love their work Mm -hmm. 
would you say that there are different niches within generative art, what we're seeing in the NFT space? Would you say there are niches and whether your work would fit in one of these named niches or not really? It's because I've seen like animated, some of them are animated, some of them are linked to like the time of day they change during the time of day. Some of them are, are very like basic shapes and some of them are more complex. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm still exploring a lot uh, myself and uh, I produced uh, I produced interactive NFTs in 3D mm-hmm. as well as uh, animations, uh, animated loops. I also shared a few uh, static files for plotters as well as uh, as plots for mm-hmm. for NFTs. I think we don't have to be limited by well you, you can you, you you totally can but i i spent so many years trying to learn different technologies like uh, i do have i i can't tell how many arduinos and uh, raspberry <laughs> yes. i have at home and i'd love to produce work that are using electronics and physical devices as well mm-hmm. and for now i don't want to to limit myself to a specific kind of output I'd like to continue to explore and uh, produce that produce art that can be interesting. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, you could even link some of your existing collections. That would be really cool, I guess. Like link a collection that you've done, like as an NFT artwork, and link it to the Arduino physical. Mm. Give it some utility on that aspect as well. Yeah, sure. That would be really cool. All right. And uh, for people who are starting out as generative artists or are interested in the topic, um, obviously not everyone will have the opportunity or the background of going to art school and having a full mm-hmm. education, but maybe they just want to play around like me and start creating stuff. What resources would you recommend, if anything? Uh, what resources? Of course, uh, P5JS, which is a great library, which is uh, focused on people who don't have a developer background. Uh, it it is made for artists, for uh, student, for designer, or yeah, people who just want to create using code. From there, uh, you can learn a lot, tons from uh, OpenProcessing.org, where you have uh, thousands of sketches where you can learn from. Uh, Daniel Schiffman has a huge collection of videos on his YouTube channel. Yeah, starting with the web and the JavaScript language, I think this is one of the languages which has the most resources on the web. Of course, we because this is the language of the web. And yeah, this is the language that you can use to share your work with others. So I would definitely recommend that. One thing that I would definitely give as an advice is to uh, document the sources that you are using on every work. It can be either just for you so that you can go back to it later, but for others as well, because it is really important. Yes, this is a web and we are constricting upon the work of others. And this is really important to mention what you are building upon. This is a way, like an artist, to to place yourself um, in reference to 
the work of others. And uh, this is a great way to, to define yourself. Mm. Yeah, that's a very important point. So in terms of the, these kinds of arts, uh, is the code open and is it very common for people to build upon each other's code? Or at least the, the, the algorithm in terms of what they're trying yeah, to create? There is still um, a very um, unclear limit mm -hmm. <laughs> upon using others' code. I mean, maybe, well, maybe an idea or a, gen um, a general concept can be used for you. But uh, I think this is something that you can acquire with years of practice, which is the moment that you are making your own a specific algorithm or a specific ID without only being uh, trying to recreate others' work. Mm -hmm. I do admit that I, for years I tried to recreate others' work and this is a great way to learn. But uh, regarding the NFT space, I think that you must really make your own something before selling it. Yeah, because we're seeing a lot of, I mean, I, I will probably, I think that there will be an explosion even more than what we're seeing now in terms of generative art. And as usually happens, there'll be a lot of copycats as we've seen in the PFP space. So to stand out will be even more difficult. And that's, I guess, when the real artists will start to shine through and all the amateurs or copycats will be exposed. I think this is just like painting. You, as an artist, you have to find your own style, mm -hmm. which maybe is I, I don't I don't know if it is more difficult that with painting, but you have to express something that is your own, and this will be seen only upon your previous work, and again and again and accumulating the experiences and where something really unique to your style with start will start to to shape mm -hmm. yeah that's very important and as you mentioned i think we were talking the other day where like the value of previous collections actually rises maybe when you create something new because the it raises the awareness of the profile of the artist and also they are kind of linked, no? So yeah, you can you can maybe I bought the Oro one, but I would then go to look at at the previous collections and co want to collect those as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a very good point, yeah. Uh, and how about uh, to finish up? Uh, maybe where can people reach you, and what plans you have for the immediate future? I saw you tease some new collection on Twitter as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of the meta collection, I think. Uh, do you mean the the arcs? Like uh, uh, I've seen it uh, like yesterday or the day before that you said the end of June. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think this is part of the of, of the slashes upgrade. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm on Instagram at macio at macio one three five, and uh, but not really there at the same time and I'm only posting. So if you just want to look at the images, you can go to Instagram. Um, but I'm more active on Twitter. You can definitely reach me uh, easily there. 
and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm working on uh, so I'm working on this upgrade and this meta collection as well, uh, which should start to get out at the end of June, and 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 I'm uh, working on a few uh, on a few collaboration as well. That should be for for creating new new plots uh, with another art another artist, and uh, as well with uh, another uh, digital painter. Yeah, I have a, I, I have a few ideas, but uh, but uh, another thing that I really plan to do and start to do really soon is uh, writing writing about the the, the previous outputs, the, the the previous releases that I made uh, either. Uh, shattered moon uh, slashes and auto. Um, I definitely want to to go back to this series and uh, and write oh oh I produced them and uh, and why. Yeah, I'd love to read that. Uh, I think Tyler Hobbs is actually one of the things why he's so good and famous is that he writes yeah. really good uh, essays. Yeah, Matt Delorier also writes a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and. I- Definitely inspired yeah. by them, as well as um, Amy Goodchild. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. I'll look it up for sure. Mm-mm. Cool. Well, it's been really fascinating uh, digging into the deep mind of the artist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to to much more artwork in the coming months and years. Thank you very much, Diana. Thanks a lot, John. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Lionel. I'm really excited about generative art and the future of this niche within the NFT space. As always, if you like the episode, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me at mastermind.fm on Twitter, or you can also send me an email podcast at mastermind.fm. Thanks and see you in the next episode.